0: Welcome to the Authors Who Lead podcast. This podcast is dedicated to you, people who want to be inspired by authors, leaders, and the messages they share. This is such an important podcast to us because we help uncover what goes on behind the scenes when authors are writing their book. We talk about the process. We talk about where they get big ideas, and you can listen in on those conversations. We can't wait for you to join us. So let's get started. Have you ever felt that the thing you wanted to write was so challenging, you weren't sure you could share it, that maybe it would bring you some shame, or maybe at least people would look at you different? Matt is our current author we're talking about, who decided he wanted to write a book about being porn-free. That 20 years ago, when he chose to let go of his identity of being addicted to porn, he had to actually start taking action. And when he started his first podcast about being porn-free, called Porn-Free Radio, he wasn't sure how people would accept it. But now he's helped hundreds of men go through the process of letting go of this attachment they have to porn. In fact, sometimes the things that we think is a problem is actually a solution, albeit not the best solution. And sometimes we need to think about the things that maybe control us as not the problem and start trying to combat it. But realize we're using that thing in an effort to solve our problem. And so in this case, it could be really helpful, but it is only so useful. It only lasts so long. It's temporary or fleeting. When you write or write a book, you have to think about putting yourself out there about something you really care about, but it also may bring to you something that's challenging. Don't let the challenging part keep you from writing the book you are meant to write because there's so many people you can help because you do it. And writing your book is not only brave, but it's also necessary because you're the only one to write that book. Hey everyone, I'm Sewell Welcome back to the episode of Authors Who Lead. I'm so thrilled to have a dear friend and Somebody that helped me in the past with some copywriting we've met at a conference is here to talk to us about his book. Matt Dobshewich is here. He's the host of Porn Free Radio. It's a top-rated self-improvement podcast with over 2 million downloads. He's an essential resource for motivated men who choose to live porn free. His, hope, his hope-filled his hope approach is to subject many of the many troubling talking points that have been inspired by the global audience of men to take action transform their lives. From his home in suburban Chicago, Matt Podcast runs a professional coaching practice, He is happily married to his wife, Janice, with whom he has been friends since college. And together, they have two teenage sons, Jordan and Samuel. And Matt is a diehard Chicago Bears fan and a coffee enthusiast and a lover of old school hip hop, which is pretty cool. We're going to talk today about his new book, which is just coming out. It's called Porn Free, Becoming the Type of Man That Does Not Look at Porn. And we're going to dive deep into the conversation around what it takes to write a book of this caliber. Matt, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Azul. Yeah. You know, as
0: we were reflecting before we started recording here about our journey together is that we've realized we first met each other at Ray Edwards' event, who's a a fellow author as well as a copywriter as well. We got to know each other there, probably because Steve and I were looking to get help on how to be better copywriters. You were one of those people there that were helping. And then we reconnected at Podcast Movement, since I think at the time I was pretty new to podcasting at the time. And... Uh, an introduction by our mutual friend, a reintroduction, I think, from Alex Barker, who is another author, friend of ours. And you said, I think I want to write a book. And that's where our sort of journey together began. Let's talk a little bit about this idea that, hey, I have an idea for a book that's based on my podcast. And for clients that I serve, I'd love to write a book. What was the initial idea or thought you had before we ended up with the book we have here?
1: Well, the funny thing is, is when I first started the podcast, the first thing I thought was the last thing people need is another book. <laughs> um, and specifically, you know, I was, my uh, podcast is for motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn. Uh, and it, you know, people opt in. They say, Hey, this is something I don't want in my life. I want some help getting rid of it. I'm having trouble quitting. How do I do it? Those are the people I'm serving and pretty visual folks. And, and, and I thought, boy, who, These guys, you know, look at porn and they're trying to let go of this. Are they going to like sit and read a book about this? Like it kind of, that's how I kind of thought, but I, I loved podcasting. And, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to Pat Flynn, your, your friend, obviously, and he, uh, you know, he was talking about, well, hey, what do you know a lot about? And what do people ask you about? And at the time before I started the podcast, people had known I had had a recovery story and that, you know, I'd worked hard at, letting go of porn in my life and getting rid of the habit of it. And so I got asked about it all the time. I'd get asked like monthly about it. And so silly me, I kind of thought, well, I guess that's what I know about. So maybe I should do a podcast about it and, or, you know, do something about it. And I decided the podcast was the way I wanted to go. But what I found after recording all these podcasts was not everyone listens to podcasts and not everyone starts their journey in the podcast app. So it became clear, you know, a few years in, I needed to write something. Uh, and then a lot of people would ask me, can I, do you have a book or something you can give me so I can give it to a friend? I don't know how many times, maybe this has happened to you. As I say, I have a podcast and a well-meaning friend will say, well, is there like a website or can I go somewhere? (laughs) Like they don't know what to do with that. I have a podcast. So, so this book is solving that challenge is like, here's something that kind of, Puts together some of my ideas in a really accessible way, and it could be something you can hand to someone. It could be someone and someone who's starting their journey, you know, in Amazon looking for help can find it. And unlike
0: other platforms like the Apple platform, it isn't really intuitive. It's not easy to search and browse. It's it's clunky. It's not a search engine, and I think it that's the thing that should be. If it were a search engine, people would search and find all kinds of great stuff by episodes. But now it's really clunky. But on Amazon or Barnes and Noble for that matter online you are searching because you're looking to solve a problem or you know with your credit card with your money to say i am ready to put put my money where my mouth is and get something solved here a book for entertainment and or solve a problem so i think that's great i think it is how people will find you who wouldn't listen to podcasts or don't and you know the fact that it is digital people don't have to be afraid you know like oh i don't want this book laying around i don't want people to know you know this is what i'm struggling with which is unfortunate because if people just were honest about things they struggle with it, there'd be a lot less judgment about it because it's not like it's not a problem for lots of men or even if it's not quote a problem it's something that could potentially grow into a problem depending on their life right so let's let's talk about that so when we sat down to talk we you know we followed my process to help kind of this extraction of the content and you knew a lot about it you had hours and hours hundreds of maybe thousands of hours of podcast episodes You coach people who are in in this recovery journey, but writing the book and getting your story out and getting it all on paper was a journey. Let's talk about that journey and what was it like for you?
1: Journey is such a polite way of saying it. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I mean, it, it was a real challenge to me on a number of levels. One, you're right. There were many minutes of me talking. There were many stories I had. There are many ideas, but but figuring out how to get it into a written format. And one thing that I really struggled with at the beginning that you helped me break break out of was I kept writing this book and I kept going into what sounded like expert mode, like I was lecturing. And the last thing anyone needs who's struggling with a problem is someone giving a lecture, you know, and Right, and I—I I actually, you know, you mentioned Ray Edwards. I—I I first heard this quote from him. You know, he said, "You can't read the label in the bottle from the inside." Right. And usually, that's used to describe well. You need you need an outside perspective. You need other people to give you feedback and 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 right because you're yeah. too close to the subject. But in my case, when I was thinking about this book, this is a book written from the inside. This is you know, connecting with a reader who is going on a journey themselves to try to figure out how do I change my habits? How do I let go of this thing that has kind of wedged itself into my life, this coping mechanism, and how do I get out of it? And when I looked on Amazon, all the books are written from the outside of the bottle. It's the expert, you know, telling people what they should do or what's wrong with them or diagnosing them. And so that was one thing that that was one thing that really I wanted to execute on in this book is this is a we book. Like I use the word we a lot in this book because I I relate to this journey. I I'm I was on this journey and I'm still, there's still things I'm learning. And when I looked at some of the other recovery literature and other disciplines, like alcoholism, you know, there's great books like drinking a love story or The Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book they're very much we stories, you know, but the Alcoholic Anonymous big book starts with the word we, and I just didn't see that with porn and and even sex addiction. I saw a lot of therapists writing books for quote unquote addicts.
0: Yeah. And then, and starting with your story was, I think a really inspiring yet difficult place to start. I mean, you're becoming completely vulnerable in a new way. So like people who listen to your podcasts, they're in the inner circle. They're there because they've you know i'm in the space I feel comfortable and safe here putting in the book on the page it's like immortalizing this story <laughs> it has a long lasting effect and so a lot of people struggle with getting their story right or out or i don't want to sound like i'm preaching like they have all these reasons but really it's resistance to i don't know how this is going to come off once it leaves my hands into the readers uh eyes um what part of this telling your story was a challenging for you cuz you you do tell it in A lot of it in that first person narrative. And you do give a lot of practical tips for people who are actually suffering and struggling. Um, And one of the things you told me early on was that porn isn't a problem. It's the solution for a lot of men. So I'm not trying to tell them it's not a solution. I'm just trying to tell them there's a different way to solve what their need, what they're searching for. How does your story play into that
1: narrative? Well, I mean, I think the thing that I was surprised at, I, I first got in recovery 20 years ago. 20 years ago, there were no podcasts. Of the books that are out there now, there were only a couple. Interestingly enough, some of those books are still being sold on Amazon. It's It hasn't been like a, there's not a library now of books that you can go to. There's still just a few. And I didn't know of a group I could go to. I would tell people about struggling and, I, and by this point in 20, what was it, uh, 2001, I mean, I was struggling with the internet. And I remember telling people I'm struggling with porn on the internet and people didn't even have a concept. Wait, you're getting porn on the internet? Like that question was asked to me because people at that time were using it for email and maybe they had tried to order something online, but the idea that there was porn was just a foreign concept. So I really felt alone and really isolated. And so. What was interesting was when I first started my podcast in 2014, I started getting letters from people who were in the same boat 13 years later. This is the first thing they did, subscribe to this podcast. They hadn't talked to anybody. They didn't know anywhere they could go to talk about it. And I realized, oh my gosh, I thought things were all different now. People were more open. There were more groups. There was more help. There was more books and resources. I realized, no, people start this journey almost the same way alone and they don't know what to do next. And so my story all of a sudden became a lot more relevant than I realized. Even my dumb stories from, you know, 1999 and in the nineties make sense to a modern audience because they know what it's like to be alone. They know what it's like to, to go against themselves. Like this is a big challenge with porn is people will decide, I don't want this. I don't want to do this. And then. Something happens, they're struggling, it's late at night, and all of a sudden they're going to buy porn. Or they're, you know, in this case, now they're just picking up their phone and they're like, I just decided I wasn't going to do this, and now I'm doing it. And that really starts to erode your confidence and your sense of self and self advocacy, the whole deal. And I just saw guys going through that same pattern that I went through. So, you know, it's kind of a cliche to say I wrote a book for a younger version of myself and that kind of stuff, but in a weird way, I'm like, gosh, I wish I had this book. I wish I, I run groups for guys. I tell them all the time. I wish I had this group in 2001. There's guys in this group who have been here for a month who know more than I knew in my first 10 years of recovery. Yeah. You know, and that's,
0: that's the power of having media, right? Like we have access to, to books on our phone. Now we have That was a farfetched idea in 2001 (laughs) that you could listen to these shows on your phone would be like, what are you talking about? You're nuts. So uh, let's talk about the writing process. So we, we started together working on this book years ago and, you know, getting the habit to write is one thing, but then making efforts to improve it and the whole publishing process, including editing and rewrites and notes from editors, give people a sense of what your process was. You know, the good, bad, and ugly, maybe, because I don't want people who are experts in their w- world or their niche to be unaware of the challenge it is, but also share some of the elation that comes from going, Oh my gosh, I finally did it.
1: I feel like I'm still inside the bottle a little bit with the, <laughs> but I'll tell you a couple of aha moments I had. You know, your process where, you know, for the listener who maybe doesn't know this, the way Azul kind of approaches this is like we, kind of made a mind map of different ideas and stories and words that are valuable to me, things I wanted to communicate, what this book is about. And it's just it was just throwing words kind of on the wall almost. And then Azul encouraged me to make these little files, like whatever these little snatches of words were, each one would be a file in a Google Doc. And then every morning, I'd wake up and whatever bubbles sort of... <laughs> popped to my eyes, I would try to write about it. And I might write a paragraph. I might write a couple sentences. I might write three pages. And that kind of writing, and sometimes, to be honest, you know, I would have a bullet or a bubble and I'd go, oh, I had a great podcast on this. Let me find the transcript and see if there's something I can kind of pull out of that. And to be honest, a lot of my podcasts were good. They were good talking, but it takes a lot of work to get you know, a conversation or someone talking into a thing that's very readable. Yeah. So that combination of that, you know, writing those bubbles and pulling in the content started filling out these things. And these things started looking like a book. Like there would be like, hey, here's the three reasons you avoid getting help. Don't ask me what those are right now, because I don't have my notes in front of me. But, <laughs> but, but it's like, You know it kind of started looking like a book like oh those are the three reasons and yeah those are yeah i just you know they they kind of flowed together and i pieced them together and so you and i kind of assembled some stuff and and there were a lot of starts and stops because i think i'd get overwhelmed i'd fall into that you know i need to be perfect kind of thing and but the big the big aha for me the thing that was like the best thing was once we kind of assembled this and I, it was a mess. It was a legitimate mess. There were some real problems with it. We sent it to a developmental editor. Wasn't that much money, but I had to pay a little extra for that. I needed this. We needed like this expert to come in. Yeah. And she read this book and put just really detailed notes in the subject matter or in the, in the, um, whatever she annotated it. And there were things you would expect, like, hey, this needs to be stronger, and you need to do this better. But every once in a while, she'd be like, I love this quote. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just wrote this. And that was the stuff that I love. I need affirmation. And that was the exhilarating process, because I was like, oh, I'm actually doing something. I'm writing something valuable. And it made it easier to, write, to fix the other things, because I was like, well... Her name's Rochelle, you know, I was like, Rochelle like complimented me on this. I felt so like happy and, and it was like, she was sitting there reading it with me. And that was like, awesome. That first developmental edit. I'm like, okay, this is what I really needed. This taking some of this stuff, but giving me feedback. And then she also made some edits. Like she, you know, you've probably seen this in your writing. She just took out all these words that we throw in as fillers when we talk. That you don't need in a book. And yeah. the moment you take them out, the more clear you sound. You ever hear you ever read these books and you go, Wow, that author just is speaking really clearly and I really understand what they mean? And and how do they write like that? And it's like, oh, someone edits this.
0: Yeah, exactly. They don't write like that. An editor makes it like beautiful people on magazines don't look like that. They're Photoshop. They're helped. They're made of, in lighting her, and
1: she was taking out adverbs and she was taking out just funny words that we fill in and uh-huh. It got to the point where I actually was editing, not editing. I was, I caught a couple things in the last, last week when I read through the audiobook. Mm-hmm. and I had a couple of these like clunky sentences where I added extra words and I was like mad. I'm like, how did this get through? <laughs> <laughs> who, who let this slip through the, who the pages? The, who left the well comma? <laughs> like, well, do, do you need a well <laughs> to start a sentence?
0: Right. We don't realize how simple writing is so easy to understand. We we tried to sound, I don't know, but at least for me, I want to sound smart, educated, the least knowledgeable. And I start to sound stuffy and unapproachable. And then I swing on the side where I start to sound too casual. So like, there is a balance. And I always tell authors, don't try to write a certain way. Write the way you are and let editors tell you how you should be writing versus how you talk. And yeah, Rochelle, I we've had Rochelle part of our team for four and a half years, almost five. She's one of the best uh, development editors we have. One, because she's gentle. She doesn't hold any punches, though. She'll tell you just like it is. She's worked on hundreds and hundreds of books. So what's that process like? So you start to get these developmental edits. You start to add... This is a place where a lot of books go to get stalled in the editing because they are like, oh my gosh, there's such, quote, so much to do. Because... Let's talk about the stages of. It. There's not just one editor. A lot of that was my misconception that there's a an editor who fixes this and then off we go to the races. What was that like for you?
1: Well, I mean, Rochelle found a train wreck in chapter six. I mean, it's a literal train wreck. I guess I got lost a little bit and left three pages of podcast transcript in there <laughs> unedited. <laughs> I've done that. Don't worry. She just she just stopped and said, "I'm not going to read this anymore because it." it's not really a book like, and that was embarrassing. But as I said, her encouragement really helped. And so I actually, with that first edit, I actually went to a an Airbnb up in Wisconsin for a couple of days and just sat with those edits. And I actually made it my mission that weekend to write chapter six. And I just, I literally started at like the first sentence of that chapter and go, this chapter is a transitional chapter. It's super important and i wrote it and i i edited everything else that i could i cleaned up anything else she had and then they were able to send it back to her and she said you nailed it you know you nailed it and that chapter came back with no very few red lines like like it was shocking cuz i'm like that's a lot of words to not get a lot of red lines and i go am i getting better as a writer yes the answer she yes <laughs> so so yeah and then it went to another editor and didn't get the, as much of the warm, fuzzy feedback that I love, but you know, it was helpful. And then it went through a proof at it. And then my wife proofread it and she found more stuff. And then when I did the audio book, I still found stuff. I'm like, how on earth it's like killing cockroaches. Like, how do these things keep existing? <laughs> I tell authors like,
0: don't expect books to be without error. I go, even the ones that are published by big publishers, they know there's errors. If you kept doing it, you could keep, you'll look again and a few months you
1: go, oh my gosh, another one? How is that possible? Cool. I just saw one last week that was just, this is a good example for the audience. I saw one where it said, I was talking about prohibition and I said, Russia tried this in the 1980s, but I just wrote, Russia tried this in 1980s. <laughs> there was no <laughs> the, right. and I'm like, that passed through at least- Three paid editors, my wife, who's a real shark with catching things, me at least once, you know. I so see. five people because your brain your puts brain the "the" in there, puts the, the in. It sees nineteen eighties, it sees "in," and it just goes in nineteen in the nineteen eighties. It just puts yeah. The,
0: yeah. the "the" in. Yeah, yeah, those filler words are really notorious for showing up because they're not misspelled. They're not even. It's not even grammatically incorrect. It just doesn't sound right. Because technically it isn't a grammatical incorrection to not put the we do a lot in America. A lot of countries don't, even parts of the country. Like California is notorious for putting calling it the 405 or the like we put the in front of everything. When other parts of the country they don't. But so it's not technically wrong. It just sounds strange.
1: Yeah, and, and 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 if it was a year like 1989, it, you would say Russia tried this in 1989. <laughs> it would be fine. Right. But it's because i wrote the 80s that it just didn't sound right so that's an example of just
0: yeah the editing process is it's long i'm not gonna lie i just so i don't know if you know this but i wrote a book in november i wrote a novel for naNoWriMo and that's the national write a novel in a month sort of organization that helps people i did my process i wrote an hour a day and i did my fifty thousand words which I'm proud of because I was like, "Do I still have the chops to do this?" I tell people to do it, and it's possible. It almost never works perfectly that way for most people. <laughs> so, but I was like, "I know it works. I've done it before." But now the daunting task of editing that manuscript has weirded its head, and I gave myself a week off. and Steve's the co author, so he's going to be the the next pass through because it is it's regional. It's based in Appalachia. I don't have the dialect skills to write or the contextual skills, so. Editing will be fun because I'm in the midst of editing a second book while he's taking over that one. So I I know the pain and agony as well as the joy of this will be great when it's over. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about launching your book so that people get a context. This is this is a topic that isn't always easy for people to have. They might feel uncomfortable. What are you feeling about like getting your your voice out here? One of the things we we mentioned that it's difficult for even people to leave a review because like people will know it's me if I review and that I'm reading this book. So even that's a challenge. Let's talk about the book launch and how you're addressing even that challenging issue.
1: Well, I'll tell you a couple of things that, that I was kind of really focused on. One thing was I had a vision to be on the cover of the book and it was strategic because all the books in my category are dour. They're always like in darkness. There's like shadows. There's chains. Mm-hmm. There's a book. I can't, I don't know what the name is. It's for partners of sex addicts or. Porn addicts, and it's like a woman under a black umbrella. It just everything looks like this is drudgery, pain, bondage. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, we'll see if this works, but I put like a smiling picture of myself on this cover and it's bright colors. And it was really made, honestly. I told some people who've given me feedback, it was made to be in a thumbnail in an Amazon search. I mean, cause it pops, you can see it. Even when it's small, the words pop, the face pops, and so that's number one. Because I want this, I really wanted this book to be inviting, like inviting people into a a dialogue who are looking for help. So that's one. A second thing that I realized is, yeah, and I I knew this from my podcast. People don't share my podcast publicly. It's it's just it's the rare person that goes on Twitter and says this podcast is amazing. Porn Free Radio is the name of my podcast. But people do share more private, you know, forwards and uh, in, you know, after 12-step meetings. And and so there is a lot of that sort of side, kind of side uh, recommendations and stuff like that. And so a couple of the things that I've been asking my audience to consider doing is when this book comes out, would you consider buying it for someone in your life? Would you consider to giving it to your pastor or, you know, a counselor that you work with? Because chances are, they're going to have someone at some point in front of them who's struggling, and they're honestly not going to have a lot of great advice because, again, they're outside the bottle a lot of times. And so, this would be a great starting point for anybody. And actually, a counselor could sit down and read this with their client or even just ask them what they got out of it, and it would open up more conversation than even maybe the competency of the, of the counselor. So, that's kind of the idea for me is like, how can I get people to share this? and ask people to share it really, you know, where in those contexts where it's safe. And I think
0: that that grassroots level where people will spread the word to the people that need it most will kind of appear. It will be a challenge. And I think it's even challenging. I'm happy to talk about these things. I'm I'm not bothered by the con- conversation at all. I think it's needed. And yet there's still people, maybe because they're, Maybe they are struggling. They just don't know how to say "I am," and that makes them uncomfortable. Who knows, right? But when you tackle a topic that's maybe taboo by just mentioning the word, it becomes difficult for people to have access to it. And so, I'm glad you put it out there. I love it's got bright yellow, you know, letters. You can't miss it. It's clear. You know, this is what it is. And I think naming the book "Porn Free" is what you talked about when we first met. I was like, it's aspirational. It's not feeling like a punishment. It's like, yeah, I'd love to be porn free. I'd love not to have this gripping my life. So I think it, one, I think it's bold to put your face on the cover of a book with that title, but two, it's also, oh, so like it's normalized. It's not a negative thing to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about the subject of the book. So some of the things, if you're listening and this may apply to you or not, what are some of the, the biggest ahas someone might take away when they come to addressing even this? Potential addiction they might have.
1: Well, I think the thing that a lot of people respond to, and I've already had a number of my super fans read it in the last weekend. I released it just to a small group of people to, on the book launch team. And people really respond to this idea that porn is not the problem, it's the solution. And what I mean by that is a lot of the approaches to porn and, and this whole subject kind of demonize porn and make it the problem. It's kind of like I was talking about prohibition, you know, they demonized alcohol. Alcohol is the problem. If we just get rid of alcohol, we'll solve the problems, but the, they didn't, they weren't addressing why someone using alcohol was drinking. And so as, you know, the programs that addressed why people were drinking and then kind of helping them, that's what's had success. Outlawing alcohol or making alcohol the enemy didn't work. And especially when you're a person trying to to get help and you're trying to to shift out of this habit, you know, you already feel kind of like a failure. You already feel kind of beat up. And so to be associated with something that's also evil and horrible, and it really does make it a stigma to, to get over it. And so the first thing I tell guys is like, let's not treat this like the problem anymore let's treat it as a solution. Now, albeit not a great solution, and it's causing other consequences. You know, a therapist once told me it's like walking into a room with one problem and walking out with two. It creates costs and consequences in your life. But if if this is all you focus on is the problem, you don't ever get to the root of what's really driving the behavior. And so that's the big aha in the book. And I hammer that over and over. (laughs) And then, you know, another thing that It's kind of revolutionary to people, and I didn't come up with this, the idea that let's look at addiction as a habit. And you know, I think it's a lot better to say that person has a drug habit, for example, than that person's a drug addict. One is very labeling, one is very finite, the other is a behavioral addiction. It's a, a repeated use of something that has costs and potentially is harmful, but it's the use of it, it's the repeated use, the habit that that's how addiction should be seen. And the interesting thing is the way you get rid of an addiction, the way you get rid of a habit is the way you change a habit. I mean, it's the same thing, you know, when you do a couch to 5k, you change what you're doing. You're not sitting on the TV anymore in front of the TV. You know, you're following a running plan. You're starting to, you know, take these steps and that's, that's the same kind of thing. And, and all of a sudden you run a 5k and you create a habit of running and and all of a sudden you're running, you're not watching TV. It's the same kind of thing.
0: I think that the simplicity of it woven with your story, with case studies, people you've worked with, things that have happened, things you've said, things you observed as somebody who's grown and changed in this, you know, I can see there being even follow-up, you know, about other books about, because once you're out of you, like, oh, I can sigh. Now you still have to tackle the thing you walked away from. And that's a whole nother level of commitment.
1: Well, I'll, Ooh, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I mean, not to give too much away, but you know, I have a really clear vision of a second book and it's all about self-rejection. And it's because so much of our escape and our numbing behaviors and our addiction uh, and our habits are a result of, of not being happy with ourselves, not feeling good enough and, and actively self-rejecting ourselves. And so, you know, that's what I want to work on next. And that's not just a porn problem. That's not just a porn guy who struggles with porn, struggling with self-rejection. That's a, that's a people problem. And so I'm, I'm excited to deal with that. Cause even as I get into this book, you know, in the later chapters, that's, that's what we're focused on is how do you take care of yourself? What do you do that gets in the way of getting self-care? You know, what, what are the things that you're still hanging on to that are not helping you, you know?
0: Yeah. Great topics for books. I think that'll be just as successful as this one. If you had any advice as we wind up here for anyone who's thinking about writing a book, what would you say?
1: Wow. That's a great question. I'd say, well, I mean, I'd say work with Azul, which I've said. So times. <laughs> Thank so you. One thing, and that sounds self serving, but, or, you know, whatever. But I did think for me, at least for a nonfiction book, taking this approach of let me get these ideas out of my head onto bubbles and see where the bubbles go, not making a judgment about the value of something before I took some time and wrote about it. Um, even this new book, you know, let's say I I have an idea for the title and I have an idea for some of the things, I'm going to do the same process. And if I only get five bubbles and I'm opening those bubbles and nothing's coming out and I'm not right, it's not connecting and I'm not doing it, then it's like, okay, what's next? What other thing am I going to write about? Yeah. So I like that idea of exploring the topic and and believe me, if the bubbles start coming out and then when you open the bubble, you're writing and you're in the flow, well then you know, okay, let's keep writing, then let's get it, let's assemble it and then let's get it to Rochelle All right. and get that great feedback of what's good and what needs work and then, then you're off. I mean, I, I think that's the... That was the thing for me that helped keep me moving.
0: Yeah. Not judging a book before it's even out of your head is really hard. And I think that's why I encourage people not to start with an outline. An outline says, this is the book. And I say, how do you know that if you haven't written it? How do you know this is the pathway for someone to follow if you haven't written it? Well, I've I've, I've taught this a lot. I do this. I'm like, wait, wait. wait. So you're writing something you already know, but where's the growth for you as the author? Where's your aha? Where's your curiosity? Because you've got to grow into this. And I think that's part of the thing that you trusted with me is like, I want you to be curious. Don't, don't assume, you know, how you might tell this. And some amazing things came from your writing that I think even surprised you because of those openness to, I'm not creating a manual to follow. I'm I'm giving people permission to, to fall into this comfort zone of trust so that they can actually take this advice. So kudos to you for trusting the process. It's not easy, but if I were outlines people needed,
1: people wouldn't need me.
0: Oh, Outlines. Great.
1: That was the funny part about it. I sat down with a friend of mine who helped me originally just to kind of think through what the structure of this book was. And we did kind of do that process where we kind of thought, well, this would make the most logical sense to start and this would happen. And, you know, my podcast has some of this arc, so it's not. But what was interesting is I had that and the final book kind of follows this flow pretty much very similar to the the chapter titles that I came up with years ago. But it was actually the process of writing those chapters that really benefited from the process of the bubbles and the thoughts. That's where they filled out. And I think what kept me stuck was just looking at this outline of chapter titles and going, well, I don't, I don't know what's in chapter four. I, I wrote a couple paragraphs, but where's the rest of it? And so I think that's kind of the thing. Yeah. The people, you know, I've heard some of these, you know, super writers on Amazon. I'm thinking of the the one guy S J uh, or Steve Steve Scott or do you know who that guy is? Yeah, I don't know uh, Steve Scott. Yeah. You know, I mean, he said, "Well, I just write this this outline and then I write this really detailed thing and this this, this and then I kind of get in the flow and I just fill it out." and I'm like, "Okay, maybe that guy that that works for him, but for me, I had a real detailed outline and I was struggling writing." Yeah. <laughs> Whereas what we did when we took it out of the outline. Then the writing came, and then I was able to assemble it back into what looked like the same kind of format and flow, but obviously had some surprises in it. One thing I will say is there was a a story I retold in it uh, from an Italian writer, kind of as a metaphor, and a couple of my readers this weekend were like, wow, that was an amazing story. And you know the one guy said, I already ordered that story on Amazon because I want to read the whole thing, you know. Because I just briefly mentioned it in a couple pages, as and that's that's something that came out of that creative process, not chapter one, one A, one B, right. one C, right. you know, yeah. conclusion, yeah, action, no, right? That no, you can
0: do it. Though. I'm not boohooing anyone who chooses to do that. I just think what comes out is a very transactional book, it's really good for. I always say things like, you know, the 101 Instagram secrets. Yeah, that book is not a transformational book. That is a book about process or, you know, oriented thing. And you can do step one. But this is a very, I think it was an emotional topic to write about, as well as a tender one for people who are reading it. You were really intentionally trying not to be the outside authority. And to do that, you had to sit with, well, then how do I do this if I'm not going to be talking at them and saying, this is who we are? And I think that's that's a credit to you. This has been so incredible. I know that if anyone you know who's struggling with a porn addiction or is wondering what that might be like for somebody who is recovering, this is a great book. More free is available wherever you can get books. Definitely go on Amazon, and get it. We'll link it in the show notes. Where would people get to know you? You know, if they're curious about listening to your podcast or learning more about your programs?
1: Well, my site's recoveredman.com and that has the podcast it has links to some of my coaching programs and stuff like that. But obviously any podcast player. If you're bold enough to type in porn free radio, then yeah. you'll find it because it's there. And there's hundreds of episodes. I just got a great text from a guy who Spotify at the end of the year tells you what you listen to, what your number one song was, and yeah. And he got this thing that says, Your number one podcast was porn free radio and you listened to eleven thousand minutes of it last year. That's something. There's at least 11,000 minutes to be listened to. Right. There you go.
0: So there's plenty to listen to for, for radio. Matt, thank you so much for the journey you allowed me to be a part of, as well as the incredible book you wrote to serve so many people who are suffering in, in something like pornography addiction. Thanks again. And if you're listening today and you want to write a book, I encourage you to don't do it alone. Don't suffer with a book for long. And as Maya Angelou has said in her past when she was living, that. There's no greater agony than an untold story inside of you. I don't want anyone to leave this planet without the story that you've been dying to share or needing to share. Um, so go to authorsrelease.com, check out our coaching programs, or uh, continue listening listen to this podcast because amazing authors just like Matt will be here to help you kind of maybe glean a little bit of uh, advice to take your next step. Thanks again, Matt. And uh, we'll look forward to sharing more of these journeys with you as you continue to listen. Thank you for listening again to another episode of Authors Who Lead. We appreciate you being here, and we hope you subscribe so you get this delivered to your device every week. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so. It really helps. And if you have a book in your heart, you've been wanting to write a book, please go to authorswholead.com and join us on this journey of becoming a published author.